Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 9. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're really glad you're with us. My name's Mark. Uh, I get to be one of the ministers here, and we're really pleased and encouraged by your participation with us as we worship Jesus together. Uh, We have been, uh, for well over a year, studying through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've been focusing over the last, we've been doing this in a chronological way, we've been focusing over the last six weeks in a very key uh, part of the Gospel of John. Uh, John does something different than the other three. The other three were written previous or at an earlier period of time, relating the news about Jesus to those who wouldn't have known his story. John's writing much later, and so we, we tend to believe that John is writing toward a, an audience that's aware of who Jesus or what Jesus did, but are not quite as aware of who he is. And what we've seen is that John uh, uses in the first 11 chapters of his gospel, uh, he splits it where he identifies seven major miracles or uh, declarations of who Jesus is. It could be the feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, healing a, a royal authority's son. It's things like this. We're in the sixth today, the sixth of the seven miracles that substantiates who Jesus was by the signs. And then he takes us, beginning in chapter 12 forward, into the Passion Week of Jesus, uh, the death, the, the purposes behind his death and revealing that to us. So today we look at this passage, having been in John 7, 8, and now chapter 9 over the last six weeks, uh, I want you to remember that what Jesus has done is he has declared something that has created factions amongst religious people. That Jesus was saying to them, you can either kill me or crown me, but you have to do one or the two. As C.S. Lewis said, Jesus is either a lunatic or he's a Lord. Based on the evidence he's given, you have one of two choices, and each one of us personally gets to make that choice. Today we see one of those moments that Jesus draws a line in the sand, if you will, and he asks people to step over it and trust him in doing so. Uh, We're going to read parts of it. You heard it read this morning better than I could read it, and uh, so it's going to be awkward now. But uh, I want to take you through the the highlights and the key pieces of these verses, John chapter 9. We'll begin in verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing Verse 10, the Pharisees asked, how then can your eyes be opened? And he replied, the man they called Jesus some, made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, then I could see. Verse 14, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Verse 35. 
Jesus heard that they had thrown him out of the synagogue, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Today's message is about spiritual blindness. I want to tell you that from the very beginning so that you can see it, pun intended. You see, we're going to talk about spiritual blindness because it can creep upon us. In fact, most people don't know they're blind because they've never seen. And they assume that they have perfect eyesight. I've always wondered how, how I know whether I'm colorblind or not. Because I can only know what I see. And how can I experience what you see and how you might see browns or yellows or greens different than me? And I've always wondered those things. Then my mind shuts off and I get back to th- important things like sports. Because <laughs> it hurts to think that deeply. Today we're going to talk about spiritual blindness and sometimes how it's awkward for us to, to actually realize we may be blind. And how is it cured? What I'd like to do this morning is take this rather large text, all 41 verses. We won't process every single verse, but we're going to take the moments that we've deemed most important by looking at the three major groups of people in this story. I want to look at the disciples and a question they ask. I want to look at the Pharisees and their blindness. And I want to look at the man who was healed, but was he? And by using that lens, hopefully we can begin to understand what it means to be spiritually blind and what is the cure. We begin with the disciples. They ask a very revealing question. It's a theological question. They walk by the man who's blind and they say to Jesus this question, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? The question of suffering is always a why question. Why me? Why them? God, why? Suffering will always bring the why question. And it's a fair question to ask in the face of suffering. And they had an assumption. Their assumption is declared by the question they ask. Who sinned that caused this man to be blind, him or his parents? You see, they believed what people still believe. That if a bad thing happens to a person, the person's bad. Or the person's deserved it. I I can tell you, uh, as being a pastor in this community... And wherever I've been a pastor in the community, the question always comes or the statement is made when someone goes through a rough ordeal or goes through a period of suffering. Maybe their marriage breaks up or a kid rebels or, or they lose their job or they get stuck with a sickness and, and they get this uh, terminal sentence by their doctor. I've had people say this directly to me. God's just getting even for all the things I've done wrong. And I want to tell you today that's not true. In fact, Jesus negates that. Because here's the reality of it. Jesus says it's not a cause and effect thing. He says neither his parents nor this man sinned. He's not saying they're sinless. He's saying it's not cause and effect. And there's several reasons we can believe why suffering is not cause and effect. Because the truth of the matter is, if God got everybody to suffer who sinned, why are you not suffering right now? Too harsh? Oh, it's going to get worse. Because this is heavy heavy topic today. See, suffering is not caused because you sin. Suffering is caused because sin has ruined our world. General sin, not specific sin. Yes, sin has caused suffering, but a person does not suffer because they themselves have sinned. Could we at least confess this morning in a group of people heading toward faith? Could we at least express that sometimes my personal sin has caused somebody else to suffer? Am am I the only one in the room who's going, yeah, my choices have hurt innocent people? Their suffering is not a cause of their sin. Their suffering is a cause of sin. Mine 
and all of ours. We wreck this world. If I can be so gross and so upfront, let me just say it simply this way. The world suffers because we've made it this way. It is the world we deserve. Because we told God his ways wouldn't work and they're the only ways that do work. So we wrecked it, turned it upside down, and suffering is a byproduct. It's not because God caused this suffering. It's because we did. It's not because I individually am suffering because of what I did. It's because of all sin in the world has broken this. See, Genesis 3 and Romans 8 tell me that God created a paradise and there was no suffering. But sin entered into the world and brought suffering with it. And there is a sense in which the human race is getting the world it deserves. Not because God punishes us, because we punish ourselves. Yet suffering is a mystery that God can use for his purposes. So suffering is not caused by God because we're sinners. Suffering is caused by sin because we're sinners. And it's been broken. And Satan uses suffering to get us to question God. And God uses suffering to show us his glory. God says, I won't end all the suffering, but I will be in the suffering with you. In fact, Jesus on the cross was a perfect example of a God who is willing to suffer for us. And he did nothing wrong. So suffering is not God's punishment. It's our own. And God can even use suffering to bring about his glory. So they ask that profound question. And you may think, well, now they move on to something else. But if you pay attention, you're going to see that the disciples' question is actually demonstrated in the life of the man who was healed. The second group I want to look at are the Pharisees, and they were truly blind. And I don't say this from a superior standpoint, like mocking them. It can be so easy for me in my nature to look at all the things, knowing what I know about Jesus, now looking at the Pharisees and just judging them as absolute cruel, evil people. Not every moment in the scriptures are they that. In today's, it's exposed that there is an evil amongst them and they've bought into it. Jesus heals the man and he tells the man to go to a pool, which is really strange because he's still blind. Did you see that? (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) How could he? So uh, anyway, He's still blind and Jesus says, go to the pool. So someone had to help him there. And isn't it funny? The question will be raised more and more. Why did Jesus spit in the ground? Why did he make mud? Why did he put it on his eyes? Was that necessary? Why would he do this? And I have no answers to any of your questions. I will tell you this, however. When you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll discover this. Jesus seldom does miracles the same way anytime because I think he doesn't want us to fall into a pattern of how he heals. He just wants us to be aware of who heals. Make sense? And there's also a moment where the faith has to be enacted. And that blind man has to get up and go to the pool and wash his face. And he says, and when he got up and washed his face, the same face he'd washed his entire lifetime, this time he could see. And the Pharisees don't like it because he did it on the Sabbath. Instead of saying, oh my goodness, you were blind and now you see, let's write a song. He doesn't. Some of you will get that later. Because he doesn't. They don't celebrate that a blind man can now see. They're mad that Jesus broke their rule. Not God's rule, their rule. They had made the Sabbath into such a legalistic thing that there was no joy, there was no rest. It was constantly fear that you might cross the line. And Jesus basically blew away, like, your opinions on how things ought to be does not legislate to God how things ought to be. So instead of celebrating that the man could see, they interrogate him. And it is called spiritual blindness. Well, what is spiritual blindness? Let me give you a real practical definition. To be spiritually blind is to not, to, to not see the reality of our sin and to not see the reality of his grace. 
I want to say that again. You're spiritually blind when you cannot see the reality of your own sin. And because of that, you can't see the beauty of Jesus' grace. And they were blind. Mike Smith and I, uh, friends here, uh, we got to be two weeks together in Michigan for a week of CIY Move. And we were working together. And we were talking about kids because we're the same age and we have the same kind of music. We saw the same television shows and we laugh about it. But I remember being a kid and he and I were talking about this this summer watching some kids go by on bikes. I remember sitting on my brother's handlebars with my feet on the tiny little uh, bolt that held the, the tire in place on the front. I would sit with my butt wedged between the handlebars and I'd have my feet on those little pegs and I wouldn't be holding on, no helmet, no protection and down the road we would go off and on. It was nothing to hop on my friend's handlebars and trust that they loved me enough not to kill me. I did have occasions where someone stopped quickly and I was catapulted into the lawn and normally it was fun. It, you'd get done, you're like, that was awesome, let's do it again. I, I'm 53 years old, you won't see me doing that much lately. Do you know why? Wisdom and a mortgage. Those two reasons compel me not to do stupid things anymore. One, because I've seen what's happened to people when they don't pay attention to wise choices, and I have a mortgage to pay. And those two reasons, combined together, keep me from making choices I would have made when I wasn't so wise, and I didn't understand the cost. Can I have an amen, church? Do you know what spiritually blind, or being spiritually blind is? When you're still making choices because you have not weighed the wisdom that you've learned in life that you have a sin problem, and Jesus is the only answer. You see, Jesus said, I came to give eternal life that starts now and affects everything. And they were like, how dare you give him sight on the Sabbath? Seriously? Seriously, that's your issue. Not that a blind man can see, but that God didn't do it the way you wanted him to. And here's one of the truths of understanding the gospel story of Jesus. He doesn't do the way things the way we want him to. He does the way... He does things the way God wants him done. And so if you don't have a Jesus who pleases you, get used to it. Because you have a Jesus who came to show you a new way, to take the blinders off your eyes and to unclog your ears and to soften your heart. And when I say you, I'm talking to me too. He did that for all of us. He continues to do it for all of us if we will allow him to. And the Pharisees would not accept the evidence and the revelation of their own sin. And when he challenged the pride of their hearts, they could not see the destruction of their own sin, so they could not see the beauty of his grace. It's shown in the interrogation. They go and find the man. They're like, were you really blind? He's like, yeah. They went to find his parents. They said, was he really blind? And they're like, yeah. And the parents do something really interesting here, and I want you to notice it. The parents, when they start questioning, the Pharisees start questioning, the parents become frightened because they know the power that the Pharisees have to ruin their everyday social life. So the parents simply say, go ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself because they realize that they could be ostracized in their community by standing up to the traditions that aren't of God. And some of us in this room have experienced that too. Where man-made religious traditions have ostracized you from community. And so they go to the man again and they interrogate him one more time. And finally he's like, listen, I was blind, now I see. And they said, well, he must be a sinner. And the guy's like, how in the world could someone full of sin do such a miraculous thing? And so what did they do to him? They kicked him out of the synagogue. They kicked him out of community. They ostracized him. They banned him. They censured him, whatever you want to call it. And then Jesus appears to him. And Jesus has a conversation with him. 
You see, the issue we're talking about here is the cause of suffering is mankind's destruction of this world by its sinful pride. And the cause of spiritual blindness is the same pride that's ruined this world. We live in a dark world, don't we? And when the light of Jesus shows, he even uses the imagery again that he used previously in John chapter 8 where he says, I'm the light of the world. He says, when it's, when it's light, it's time to do the work. But when the darkness comes, the work won't be done. But he said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the one bringing this light into the darkness to display this. And you won't open your eyes to see it. And they were spiritually blind. You see, it's only when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes will it become real to us. Let me talk to you about sin and pride. We are spiritually blind when our sin is not known by us or we will not acknowledge it or we dismiss it. When we hear the words of Jesus tell us that a certain behavior in our lifestyle isn't right or that we should pick up our cross, come and die, and we think, no, I just want to carry my cross on Sundays. I don't want to mess with it during the week because I've got more important things to do. When those moments happen, we are blinded to our own sin, and sin is anything that we've used to replace God. Sin is any action or attitude or response that says to God, no, you don't know. I'm just going to hop on the handlebars. I'll be fine. And then we get launched and broken and bleeding and desperate and damaged. Spiritual blindness is not taking into consideration the reality of our sin so that we can't understand the beauty of Jesus' grace. There's a pride and a self-righteousness in every one of us. We want to control people. We want to feel better about ourselves than we know we ought to. We desire to get God to try to bless us rather than us being a blessing to God. And then we realize we're not in control of our life. And the Holy Spirit has been speaking. Jesus has sent this comforter. He sent this one to direct us toward truth. And it brings conviction. It's not a conviction that we can do better. It's a conviction that we can't. That we can't fix this. We can't have a better version of ourselves. You see, when sin becomes real to us, grace becomes real and grace becomes acceptable. Look at verses 39 through 41 with me because Jesus starts playing this weird game now. It says, For judgment has come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Wow. You want to talk about pride? What happens when Jesus tells us we're wrong? What, What happens when Jesus says, No, you don't understand? He says, all of a sudden, those who have sight can't see, and those who can't see become aware enough to see. Some Pharisees overheard him saying this, and they said, what? Are you saying we're blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but since you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Yikes. He's telling the proud, the successful, the self-reliant of us. He's telling us that are proud that we've done more good than bad who still ride on the handlebars because you've never fallen. He simply says you'll fall, and it could devastate you. But to the weak, the broken, the bruised, the failed, the scarred, who know the reality of their circumstances because it weighs against them daily, and they know they can't stop or fix what they've done, to them he said, you're beginning to see. We think success gives us wisdom, Jesus says, no, it's understanding your reality that brings you wisdom. 
And the Holy Spirit is working on every one of us today. He's asking us to truly open our eyes as he tries to open them. And, and he's trying to get us to listen to the voice of Jesus over and above the voice of the crowd that simply says, no, you have to be involved in all these activities. You have to have this. You have to have this. You have to have this. This is what God wants. God wants you to be fat and happy and just enjoy life. And I think God wants you to enjoy life. Just, we just don't understand what life is. So we're trying to enjoy it by our own control. And the Holy Spirit's trying to open our eyes and unclog our ears and soften our hearts. And Jesus looked at this man and they said, look, he's suffering because he's blind. And Jesus thought, no, his blindness isn't his suffering. He's suffering from the fact that his soul is empty. Let's look at the man who was offered total healing. You see, if I told you there was a guy that was blind and now he sees, we'd all go, yay. And that should be the end of the story, right? But it's not the end of the story. Because Jesus did not come to fix his physical eyes. Jesus came to save his soul. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I love this response. Who is he, sir? Tell me so I may believe in him. Whatever you tell me, dude, I'm in. (laughs) Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And church, read with me. And he worshiped him. See, Jesus just w- didn't want him to make a statement, I believe. It's like when you look at the, at the miracles found, especially in John, he's always pointing out that there was a responsive action to belief. This man, with mud on his eyes, washed his face and saw, and then he came to Jesus and he said, tell me about him. And Jesus said, I'm the guy. And he's like, based on what you've demonstrated to me, I believe, and not only believed, but worshiped. And he didn't even know Jesus. He knew enough, though. Enough that it would be enlightened and he would come to know more. See, what does it mean to worship Jesus? It means if you and I do not see Jesus on the cross as the purpose behind our existence, we're blind. If anything makes Jesus on the cross less important than it should be and is in the history of mankind and the salvation of all human beings, if the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus Christ is not the ultimate person or purpose for our existence, then let me say, because I love you, not because I'm angry, but I love you, you are blinded. You're blinded by the fact that every activity becomes more important than worshiping Jesus. That your careers and your money and your vacations and all the things that the world says we've earned and we deserve. I'm not saying any of them are wrong. Until they become more important to us and more central to our existence than Jesus on the cross. Because this man knew Jesus could heal him. But his eyes were opened so that he began to worship him. And I don't mean on Sunday mornings, although this is good. What about Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesday nights and Thursday mornings and Friday afternoons and Saturday evenings? And all of those moments is the centrality of who Jesus Christ is. Is that our purpose for life? Are our eyes open to what real life is? Because if it is, we will worship him. And if it's not, we should pray the Holy Spirit open our eyes. Unclog our ears. And soften our hearts. If you say here this morning, well, I'm going to clean up my life and be a better person. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to live like Jesus. And then God will bless me and take me to heaven. You're blinded still. Because all of that is what you're going to do. Instead of living your life based on what Jesus has done. Yes, for some of us, it's going to be actually listening to him when he says, don't get on the handlebars. And we're like, no, no, but I can be on the handlebars. Because, you know, everyone else says it's okay. 
look to the man on the cross, the one who died for you. Would he tell you something's bad for you that was good for you? Or would he warn you that something's bad for you that could destroy you? You see, ultimately, our worship indicates our belief. And I don't mean these events. You know what I mean now. It's actually living as if the words of Jesus mattered. It's actually being a disciple who does what he says because he says so. And he loves us and he's good to us. When we don't see the reality of our own sin, we cannot see the reality of his good grace. The Holy Spirit desires to open our eyes, to unclog our ears, and to soften our heart. You see, we can't see our world clearly until we see Jesus clearly. So how do we engage our hearts? What can we do to allow the Spirit of God to move in us? Three quick things. Be humble. Just be humble. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus told him, I've come into the world to give sight to those who are spiritually blind. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in darkness. Look to Jesus. Read the words of Christ. Meditate on the words of Christ. Pray the words of Jesus and do what he says. Experience him in obedience, not just on Sunday mornings in sermons. Humble yourself to say, I've been blind, but now I see. We need enlightenment. I want to just make this point by telling you that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us each and every day that we pay attention who Jesus is more deeply. We will never in our lifetimes grasp the immensity of who he is, but we can see more clearly. In John chapter 9, verse 11, he first refers to Jesus as a man. And then in verse 17, he calls him a prophet. And then in 38, he calls him Lord. He worships him. You see, there's, there's a progression there, isn't there? He's just a guy. He's just a good man. He's one of the best men to ever live. True. It's not enough. Well, he's a prophet. He's sent by God to deliver a message to me, to tell me I ought to live this way, but I'm not going to be very good at it, so he's just going to wipe it clean later. That's eh, bad theology. He's more than a man. He's more than a prophet. You have to take the next step. Is he your Lord? Is he your commanding officer? Is he your father who you respect and love enough to serve? You see, you have to make the progression. We, we need the enlightenment of understanding him so he goes more than just a man and more than just a prophet. He becomes our king. And then we need to make a commitment. Jesus never forces his way into anybody's life. He just offers you his grace. And to understand his grace, the Holy Spirit is convicting every single one of us that we need to be honest about our sin. He doesn't say that to smash us or crush us or make us fall on the ground and cry and, and how horrible we are. Those moments hit all of us. But Jesus reaches down with a nail-scarred hand and stands us up to walk with him into a new life. It's a good, merciful act. Some of us need to make a commitment to take that hand, to see that man on the cross who was taken off that cross and three days later walked out of a tomb. And by the power of the resurrection, there is nothing that Satan threatens us with There is nothing the world offers us that's any better than taking the hand of Jesus and following him with a worshipful existence. Do not wait until you die to meet Jesus. Meet him today. There's a large number of people here today who believe Jesus is a good man and a good prophet, but you've never made the commitment to make him your Lord. And you're saying, I need to know more. No, you just need to know who he is. 
and you will see that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and open your ears and soften your heart. Will you surrender today? Asking the Spirit of God to speak and teach you to listen, to show you and teach you to see, to trust and teach you to obey. This morning, if you want to make a decision to walk out of blindness into light, to weigh your sin in the light of grace, to see yourself in the presence of Jesus, to trust his mercy over your sinful, lost, self-controlled nature, I'd ask you to come meet me in the foyer. I'm, I'm going to ask you anytime during the music or afterwards, I'll be standing in the north end. There'll be some elders, some of our staff will be standing out there. We'd love to have a conversation. We're not going to make the choice for you. We want to walk with you as you make the choice. Today, if surrendering to Jesus is the first step in opening your eyes, would you make that decision today? Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.